Well, welcome. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church to our online campus. At the end of our time in the scriptures together right now, we're going to enjoy communion. So you might want to grab some elements, some juice, some, some bread or some crackers. And at the end of our time in the scriptures, we're going to look to what Jesus had us remember, which was his body and his blood. I want to share with you that this blessed journal has been really an incredible tool for my family. My wife and I have really enjoyed using it. Uh, at dinner time, uh, after I've eaten dinner, uh, this sits in the middle of our dinner table. And I grab it, and my wife's Bible is sitting right there. We grab her Bible, and I'll read the day's devotional. My wife will read the passage, and then I just simply ask my family right there around the dinner table, what stuck out to you from the devotional? And it's been really wonderful to see how God has used you know, many members of our church family to write some devotionals and how he's using his word to just stir up some thoughts in the lives of my family. And it's been really rich discussion. And I would encourage you to take advantage of this. You can, you can start Monday fresh. You know, download this at bbg.org, and it's free. And we want to help you get into the Word of God, but also in community. And so my encouragement would be to maybe identify some people that you might go through this devotional with. So take advantage of the devotional. Uh, in addition, January was a great month at Big Valley Grace Community Church. A lot of really excellent things happening for Jesus Christ, whether it be people coming to faith in Jesus, people publicly professing faith and being baptized, or moms and dads standing with their children to dedicate their families to the Lord, or whether it's our men's and women's ministry, our Celebrate Recovery ministry kicking off with new groups happening, our home groups kicking off, new groups happening. Just really, really excellent stuff is happening. And I want to encourage you that uh, you'd find a way that you're participating in the life of the church, even outside of the worship gathering. Where's another place of connection where you're gonna take a next step of involvement. It could be in community. It could be in serving. One of the things that in January my, my family really enjoyed is we attended Big Valley Grace Community Church at all three of our campuses. My wife and my entire family came to our series campus and attended church there one weekend. We came to the Modesto campus and attended church there one weekend, and we came right here to the online campus and attended church together one of the weekends. And it was really enriching to see how different all of our campuses are, and yet we're one church, Big Valley Grace Community Church. I would maybe extend a challenge to you. Maybe, maybe you would attend another one of our campuses in the near future. And it would be an encouragement to you to see a, another portion of our church family and how they're gathering. And that might be a great encouragement to you in your walk with Jesus. Well, today we're gonna to continue in our series called Blessed. It's a series on the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel. 
We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5, just the first few verses together. This has been a great series. It's been an opportunity for us to see when Jesus sits down to give really the greatest sermon ever, what's the first things that he says? What are the things that are on the priority for him in teaching? And it's been very enriching and equipping and strengthening and building up for us as a church family to be looking at this together. So I would encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And then we'll look at the beatitude that we have for us together today. It says, seeing the crowds, you see Jesus had drawn a lot of people to himself. He's like a human magnet. He'd been healing. He'd been uh, helping people who couldn't see, see. People who couldn't walk, walk. People who had diseases be healed. And as he's going from town to town, he is just drawing a crowd. He is, he is famous instantly and, and overnight. And he's drawn this crowd. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus sitting down was the signal he was going to begin to teach. And he had just began to call disciples to follow him, and they came to him in this moment. And he says, and he opened his mouth and he taught him. And this is the very mouth of God that is speaking. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And in this moment, God is speaking. And when we read the words of Jesus out loud, God is speaking right now. And so we need to hear God speak to us. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was the first beatitude that we looked at. It's really about being spiritually bankrupt and coming to Jesus and understanding that everything you're missing in your spiritual life is found in Jesus and him alone. And that when you come to Jesus with nothing, he gives you everything. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. It's being about about having new spiritual life in Jesus. The second one is blessed are those who mourn, for those shall be comforted. And there's lots of things we mourn over. We mourn over sin that leads to physical death. We mourn over sin that leads to spiritual death. And Jesus has comfort for us in all of our places of mourning when we're mourning over the right things. And Jesus is our comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are the meek is really about those who have power, but it's under control. And, and really, we come to Jesus and we're powerless, and we recognize Jesus is the one who has all the power, and he's the one who has all the power under control. So we really show up to Jesus powerless to seek his power in our lives, that he would be in control of us. And so blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, they inherit the earth because Jesus is the ruler. He's the ruler over all. He's the ruler over all creation. And so we submit to his power and his control. And in Christ, then we have the earth belong to us because it belongs to him. And then we get to what we're going to look at today, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, you might have known, noticed that there's a pattern here. And as we look at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's put that up on the screen again, that last verse. You'll see that there's a pattern. And let's put that last verse up on the screen. Can we get it right here? There we go. We'll go to the next one here. Next slide. 
the one that's, uh, <laughs> blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I can see it on the screens in front of me. I can't see it on that one. All right, well, that's all right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's a pattern. And the way the pattern goes is blessed are, and then it gives a characteristic of a person. Blessed are, and then there's a characteristic of a person. And the characteristic of the person that we're going to look at together today that is blessed is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then there is the blessing that follows. And that is for they shall be satisfied. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the characteristic is that they're, they're hungering and they're thirsting for the things of God. And then there is the blessing for they shall be satisfied. Now what this beatitude really addresses as we look at hunger and thirst, it really addresses desire. And I really like that Jesus uses these terms, hunger and thirst, because it's so practical. And we can so easily relate to what it is to desire nourishment with food. When we hunger and, you know, Maybe you have experienced this lately where, you know, it's a little later to eat than normally you would have eaten and your stomach's starting to tell you. Your, your stomach is starting to, to move and to shake and it's saying, you know, I need some food. And if you push past that and you ignore your stomach telling you that you need food, often that moves into, you know, you get a headache or you're not feeling so good. And quite frankly, some of you get a little hangry. You know what, exactly what I'm talking about, okay? And that is because our physical body is telling us that we desire food. Well, the same thing is with thirst. When, when we have a desire for hydration, our body tells us. And uh, sometimes our body tells us that we need hydration and we're not expecting it at all because, frankly, we've blown off drinking water and we just haven't stayed hydrated. I can remember being a kid and working at National Health Plans, a medical, uh, a medical insurance company, and I was working in the filing room. And there was files from the floor all the way to the ceiling, and it was a pretty good job for me because I'm tall, so I didn't have to use the ladder, so that worked out pretty good. But I can remember multiple times as a high school kid getting off you know, school at Davis High and heading right down the street to National Health Plans. I would bend down low to the bottom level of the shelf where the files are, and I'd get some filing done down there, and I'd take care of that. And then I would stand up to go do the top, and just the elevation change, because I was dehydrated, all of a sudden I'm feeling faint, right? <laughs> and I'm starting to wobble a little bit. I'm starting to kind of sway back and forth. My head's not clear because I didn't have enough water. I, I experienced kind of an extreme version of that when I was 23, and I decided to do something really silly, and that was run a marathon. So I went down to San Diego to the rock and roll marathon and my coach, her name's Cheryl, she told me over and over and over, you have to stay hydrated. You got to drink more water than you think you need because when you're in the marathon, as soon as you realize that you're thirsty, it's too late. It's too late to hydrate once you're already in the marathon. You gotta start the marathon well hydrated. And they have something that they call the wall. And I tell you, I hit it. 
I hit that wall hard. It's about mile 18 to mile 22. Somewhere in there in the marathon, you hit the wall, and that happened to me. And I can remember my entire body hurt. Every part of my body hurt. I thought I was gonna die right there on the San Diego freeway. I got grandmas passing me. I mean, they are passing me up. I'm 23 years old. Grandmas are passing me up because they were hydrated, and I was not because, frankly, I didn't do the training right, and I didn't hydrate my body. I saw this in just a really comical way happen to one of my kids just a couple weeks ago. My son was home from college, and he is a tall glass of water, literally. He's like 6'5". We're sitting on the couch together, and he just hops up from the couch, and just him getting up from the couch, he like hops up just that motion, it's like while he hopped up, he lost consciousness because out of, out of a moment, I wasn't expecting there was this adolescence in orbit in my kitchen. And he is literally flying through the air and he just is like, timber, boom. He lands right in to the island in our kitchen. He hits the island with his face, with his shoulder. He then falls to the floor. He is out cold. He wakes up. And he's like, what just happened? And I'm like, tall boys fall hard. Brother, let's get you some water, like right now. Let's put the soda away. I know college life has been wonderful. Let's get you hydrated. I mean, he is, has no clue what just happened. I'm like, man, you might wanna go check your jaw. You just hit that island pretty hard. When we're not hydrated, we don't even realize that we haven't been drinking water, but our body, it's gonna tell us. And whether we get dizzy or whether we hit a wall or whether we just straight black out, hydration is a pretty big issue. That's why I think it's so cool that Jesus uses these words, hunger and thirst, very physical, very tangible. They're things that we can relate to to explain what our desire should be for righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness really is the perfect standard of perfection of a holy God. So if you want to see what righteousness looks like, the only place you can see righteousness in its purity is to look at God. And fortunately, we have the scriptures because the scriptures over and over and over, the scriptures show us what a righteous God looks like, how a righteous God thinks, how a righteous God behaves, how a, a righteous God sets a standard for us to follow in his righteousness. And so Jesus says, there's a desire that you need to have and the desire, you need to hunger for it, you need to thirst for it and the standard of that desire needs to be me to be like Jesus. So you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. And here's what's crazy. When you hunger and thirst for the standard of Jesus, for the righteousness of Jesus, you find satisfaction. Satisfaction. Now, this satisfaction is different than you were hungry and you ate some food or you were thirsty and you drank some water. Because this satisfaction is the peace of God in your life. That you would literally have peace, wholeness, that you'd be complete, lacking nothing, and completely satisfied in Jesus Christ. And that's the great invitation that Jesus is making to all of us right now. 
as we, he opens his mouth and he speaks, as we hear the word of God right now, and he's saying, hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're going to be satisfied and you will be incredibly blessed in that satisfaction. So what we're going to look at is this word righteousness. It's mentioned 35 times in the New Testament. Jesus uses this word seven times. All seven of the times he uses the word righteousness are in the Gospel of Matthew. I think that's significant because you may wonder at sometimes why do we have the Gospel of Matthew? Why do we have the Gospel of Mark? Why do we have the Gospel of Luke? Why do we have the Gospel of John? Well, it's because God used these different human authors who were writing to different audiences to bring out some different facets of the ministry, the gospel ministry of Jesus. And in the gospel of Matthew, it's the gospel where Matthew uses this word righteousness seven times that Jesus says it. So what we're going to do simply is we're just going to look at the seven times Jesus uses this word righteousness to see what can we learn of ways to desire righteousness. So the first one is in the beatitude right here. The other six are going to point to really practical ways that we can desire righteousness. And I think you're going to find, I'm going to pull one word out of each of these verses, and I think you're going to find that that one word is going to point you in the right direction of a practical way that you can increase your desire for righteousness. All right, so this is going to be like a spiritual hydration test. So as we look at each of these six things, it's going to be an opportunity just to ask the question, is this a place that I can become spiritually hydrated as I'm desiring right? I can thirst for satisfaction that comes in Jesus and him alone. All right, so way number one is obedience. Obedience, that's way number one. And a great word to kind of contrast obedience is rebel or rebellion or rebellious. And so if you're wondering, well, I don't know if I can practically put obedience. All you have to do is say, am I being a rebel anywhere? Am I leading a rebellion in any way? Am I being rebellious against God? And that'll help you point to maybe a practical place in your life where obedience is necessary. When there is an increase in obedience, there's going to be an increase in desire for righteousness. So the first verse we're going to look at of these six is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. And in Matthew chapter 3, what's happening is John the Baptist is baptizing, and Jesus comes to John the Baptist and says, I need you to baptize me. And John the Baptist, he was baptizing people for repentance of their sins, and so he's like, no, no, we, I, I shouldn't baptize you. I'm, I'm baptizing people for repentance of their sins. I actually, John the Baptist is saying, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. But Jesus had a different picture in mind here. It, it wasn't a baptism of repentance that Jesus was about to do. And so he has something bigger in mind. And this is what he says. He says, let it be so now. This is Jesus talking. Let, let me be baptized. Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is pointing to his obedience. See the, the word right here that's really important is for us to fulfill all right, to fulfill right there. It's this action oriented towards the will of God. That's what Jesus is really concerned about. He wants his action to be oriented towards the will of God. He wants to obey. And so he says, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus is baptized. And the reason he's baptized, it is out of obedience to the father. 
John 14, 15, Jesus says this. If you love me, you'll obey me. Isn't that, isn't that so simple? If you love me, you'll obey me. And so obedience is super important. So spiritual hydration test. All you have to do is you just have to ask this question. Is there a place in your life where you're dissatisfied? Just, is there a place in your life where you're dissatisfied? And if so, there's an opportunity for righteousness. And I would encourage you to ask this question. Is there a step of obedience that you can take towards Jesus today? That's way number one, obedience. Way number two is loyalty. Loyalty. Uh, a great word that contrasts loyalty, or it, it doesn't necessarily contrast it, but it helps maybe understand it and give some texture to it, is allegiance, where your allegiance is. And loyalty is a great way to increase your desire for righteousness. If you increase your loyalty to Jesus, it will increase your desire for righteousness. So uh, Jesus, in the, in the Beatitudes, we're going to actually look at this next verse in four weeks. So I'm just going to briefly talk about it here. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus gives one of the last, you know, the last Beatitude, and he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so the key words here are for righteousness' sake. It's the idea that the persecution came for the sake of you living righteous. For instance, you're being loyal to Jesus and his righteousness is pouring through you. Others don't like it and so they persecute you. The reason loyalty is the word I picked here is because at any moment a person could say, I wanna stop living for Jesus. I don't like the persecution. You know what, I'm gonna bow out. I'm gonna recant Christ. There is opportunity to kind of break allegiance with Jesus. And this word's a great word for us to consider. Loyalty. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 33. He said, if you acknowledge me, if you confess me before men, then I'm gonna acknowledge you before my Father who's in heaven. I'm gonna confess you before my Father who's in heaven. Loyalty is a big deal to Jesus. So remember, this is like a spiritual hydration test. So you just have to ask the question, is there a place you're dissatisfied? And if there's a place you're dissatisfied, it's an opportunity for righteousness. So I would just ask you this question. Is there a step of loyalty that you can take towards Jesus today? Way number two is loyalty. Way number three is surrender. Surrender, a great word to give texture here is control, control. Because surrender is giving up control. Now, as you increase surrender, you're gonna increase your desire for righteousness. In Matthew chapter five, verse 20, again, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, a little later past the Beatitudes. Jesus makes this statement. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. The key word for this right here is exceeds. Now, Jesus is not saying if your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, then you can earn your way to heaven. He's not saying that at all. In fact, he teaches the opposite of that all through his ministry. What he's doing here is he's making a point and he's saying, you see how hard these scribes and Pharisees try? And they're like, they like, they like try so hard to be perfect and to have their righteousness in their own. Unless you're able to like be better than having, you know, that kind of self-made righteousness, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is you can't do it. It's not possible. 
The scribes and the Pharisees are trying the best they can and they're failing. And they're spending their entire lives trying to do it and they still failed. Which is why I picked the word surrender. Because you recognize that you can't do it. And you've got to surrender to Jesus Christ because you can't have righteousness on your own. You can only have righteousness in Jesus Christ. In John 15, 5, Jesus just simply says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's simple. He makes it very simple. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, well, when we recognize that, say, okay, I need to surrender to Jesus then. So remember, this is like a spiritual hydration test. So you just have to ask the question, is there a place you're dissatisfied? Because if there's a place you're dissatisfied, there's an opportunity for righteousness in your life. So a real practical step, a question to ask is, is there a step of surrender towards Jesus that you can make today? So that's way number three is surrender. Way number four is humility. Humility and uh, maybe an obvious word to contrast humility would be just simply pride. As you increase humility, you're gonna increase a desire for righteousness. In Matthew chapter six, verse one, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your father who's in heaven. The key words for this verse right here is in order to be seen by them. If you are doing things for God, you're living righteously, but you're doing it for the purpose of other people seeing you, then what this verse is teaching is that that's not humble. That's actually out of a place of pride because you're actually wanting to receive a reward from other people who are looking at your life. And this is a huge, huge problem because this really plays into what we all struggle with in the comparison trap of comparing ourselves to one another. And this is dangerous. Living in comparison of one another is really a dangerous place to be living. And Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 2, he says that if you judge others in the same way you've judged others and the standard you've had to judge others, that you're going to be judged in that same way. And so you've got to be really, really careful when you're comparing yourself to someone else, that you're not, you're not trying to live righteously for the purpose of other people seeing you. That really, that really feeds pride. It feeds the comparison game. But there's an opportunity here for humility. So you just ask a question. Is there a place of dissatisfaction that you have in your life? Because if there is, there's an opportunity for righteousness. And for this, step, this way of righteousness here, the question I would ask is, is there a step of humility that you can take towards Jesus today? That you might take a step away from pride and take a step in humility towards Jesus. So that's way number four is humility. Way number five is priority, priority. And the word I'm choosing to maybe be a contrast here or, or maybe actually more just to give texture to this one would be thinking. That as we talk about priority, we, we just for right now, we would just do it in the way of thinking, in our thought life. Because as you increase priority in your thinking, you're gonna increase your desire for righteousness. Jesus says this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The key words here are, are seek first. 
seek first. That, that idea of seeking first, it's really mindset. It's, it's that your mind is focused. It's, it's very attentive. It's very intentional that your thought life is going towards God and his kingdom. And, and really all you have to do is just ask the question of what are you thinking about? What, what are you thinking about during the day? Do an inventory of the things you're thinking about. How do the things you're thinking about, how do they show where your priority is? Matthew 9.4, Jesus says that he knows the thoughts. He knows our thoughts. And he even knows our evil intentions, our evil desires, and how we entertain evil in our thinking. Jesus knows it all. He sees it all. He understands everything we think about. This is a great opportunity to really soberly just say, how is my thought life prioritized on Jesus? So are you dissatisfied? Remember, it's like a spiritual hydration test. Are you dissatisfied? Well, there's an opportunity for righteousness. And my question here would be, how can you take a step to prioritize your thinking towards Jesus Christ today? That's number five, priority. Number six is the last one. It's trust, trust. And the word that I would choose to really, this one is a contrast, would be betrayal. Because this one, the, what I'm trying to bring out with this last one here is really about trust issues that we have. Places of betrayal, places where we really struggle with trusting. Jesus in Matthew 21, verse 32, this is the last of the seven times he talks about righteousness. We've looked at all seven of them now. This is the last one. He says, he's speaking to religious leaders and he says, for John the Baptist, John came to you in the way of righteousness, key phrase, the way of righteousness. So he was living in righteousness. And he says to these religious leaders, but you didn't believe him. You, you didn't believe him. You didn't trust him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Really fascinating what happens in this verse right here. So there's a way of righteousness and the religious leaders did not trust the way of righteousness. Don't you see the irony there? That's pretty incredible. But the least trustworthy people in society, the tax collectors, because everyone thought they were thieves, and the prostitutes, because everyone thought they were immoral, they actually trust Jesus. So potentially, the group in society that has the most trust issues probably have sensed the largest amounts of betrayal. John came in the way of righteousness, and they trust the way, even with all the stuff that they've had in their life, all the failures, all the mistakes, they see the way of righteousness and they trust it. And so I would just ask you, is there a place where you're dissatisfied? Because if there's a place where you're dissatisfied, there's an opportunity for righteousness. And the question I would ask is simply this, is there a step of trust that you can take in Jesus Christ today? You know, as we think about uh, all of this, I'm gonna go back over all six of those as we're entering into a time of communion here in just a moment. But I wanna share with you just about a ministry. It's a really awesome ministry at Big Valley Grace Community Church. It's at a lot of churches, but it's really great here. It's like the best. And it is Celebrate Recovery. And I wanna share with you some of the steps and, and a principle from the ministry Celebrate Recovery because it's based on the Beatitudes. So in Celebrate Recovery, step six, it just says this. We were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Doesn't that sound like humility? Doesn't that sound like surrender? 
Doesn't that sound like obedience to you? James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You don't have to worry about exalting yourself. You, you humble yourself before God. He's gonna, he's gonna lift you up as he sees fit. Celebrate Recovery Step 7 says this, we humbly asked him to remove all our shortcomings. Man, doesn't that sound like someone who's gotten over the trust issues and they've really come to Christ and said, hey, I've experienced a lot of betrayal, but I got shortcomings, but man, I'm coming to you and I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust your good hands in my life. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, doesn't that sound like what you want? Doesn't that sound like what you desire for your life? That's, that's hungering and thirsting for righteousness and recognizing we come to God, we confess our sin to him and he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And then we get celebrate recovery principle and this is the fifth principle in celebrate recovery and it's based on the beatitude that we're looking at today. And the principle is that we're gonna voluntarily submit to any and all changes that God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. It's coming before God, being open before God, saying, God, I need to hunger and thirst for you. I've hunger and thirsted for other things in life. They haven't satisfied. I'm gonna hunger and thirst for you. And the verse for this principle for Celebrate Recovery is Matthew chapter five, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I think this verse right here, just leave this verse up because this verse right here is the verse I wanna to use to really enter into our time of communion together. Jesus made a choice and the choice he made was that he was gonna use bread to symbolize his body. That's a, that's a choice he made. He wanted to give us a picture to remember him by. And so he decides that he's gonna use bread for us to remember his body. And the other choice he made to give us a picture to remember him by was a cup. And for him at that moment, it would have been wine. And he uses this to help us to remember his blood. And so the, the cup is really a picture for us to remember the blood of Jesus. And Jesus wants us to remember his, his body, his life lived in perfection for us, and his blood, the cup, his blood shed, his perfect blood shed for us. What I think is really great about this verse right here is Jesus says that his body is real food. And when we think about hungering for righteousness, the only way we have that is in the life of Christ. And it's a great reminder when we celebrate communion that it's only in the perfect life of Jesus we're gonna be satisfied. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we thirst, Jesus says that his blood is real drink. And when we remember the body, the blood of Jesus, that we're gonna, we're gonna be hydrated spiritually in Jesus. We're going to be nourished spiritually in Jesus. We're going to be hydrated spiritually in Jesus. And it's only in his righteousness. It's only in the standard of Jesus Christ and in his perfection. 
And we need to remember that. As a follower of Jesus, we need to be reminded. And so I'm so grateful that Jesus gave us a way to be reminded, to remember his life and to remember his blood that was given for us. His righteousness that we might be able to enter in to his righteousness. And it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. I would encourage you to place your faith in Jesus and him alone for your salvation, that you would trust in the life and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that you would trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, these six things that we looked at as we're looking at hungering and thirsting for righteousness, as we take time to remember Jesus, uh, maybe before you take and eat your bread or your crackers and before you drink your cup, your juice, maybe before you do that, maybe you would just ask Which of the things that we've looked at today, which of these do you maybe need to deal with Jesus on? Is there a place of obedience? Is there a place of loyalty that you need to talk to Jesus about? Is there a place of surrender that you needed to discuss it with him? Is there a place of humility that you need to bow before God in? Is there a place of priority where you really need to establish your thinking in him and Maybe there's a place of trust and maybe you've, you've, you've felt betrayed and, and this is a moment where and you're going to reestablish your trust in Christ. Which of these six things maybe would be what God would have you talk to him about right now as you spend time remembering Jesus in communion? I hope that this is a really special time for you. If you're with others, that this would be a special time for you together in community as you remember the body and the blood of Jesus and his righteousness that you get to access through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Our team is going to lead us in singing, and then we're going to close our time together. Father God, Lord, we love you. And I just want to say thank you, God. You're so good. Lord, you are the good shepherd. And in you, we don't want... You, uh, you guide us to where there's green pastures. You lead us beside still waters and we find nourishment and hydration in you. You restore our soul. You lead us in paths of righteousness and it's all for your sake, for the glory and praise of God. And so Lord, we ask, would you help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness that we might find our satisfaction in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's family said, amen. Enjoy your time of communion.